0: Morning church. Happy May. Started off last night with quite the uh, show, huh? Glad we're all here. Happy to report the church basement is dry. <laughs> for those of you who have been here for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For those of you who have been here for a number of years, you know that's a miracle. It's good to, uh, good to be together this morning. This week and the weeks leading up to this, uh, this sermon, I've been thinking about uh, thinking about something. Bear with me here a little bit. I'm thinking that there's um, there's really kind of two people, uh, two people in this in this world. Have you guys ever met somebody that uh, is a saver, a keeper? Not necessarily talking about money, but but somebody who holds on to pretty much everything. They are the ones that have the box of art downstairs from their kid, the finger paintings, like every finger painting from second grade on. These are the folks that darn socks. You guys know this practice? I didn't know this practice existed. I grew up in a, in a Dutch family. As you can imagine, we're kind of on the keeper side of things. Um, I got married to an even more Dutch family, one that was involved in the practice of darning socks. These are the people that patch jeans, the holes in, in jeans, uh, constantly uh, repairing mending fixing restoring these are the people that bring home pieces of old furniture from the side of the road in the garage and then eventually they get make their way into your home these are keepers savers there's another type of person that's out there i'll use the, the term pitchers these are the folks that um you know they get out the lawnmower maybe even just this week they got out the lawnmower and they go to pull it a couple times doesn't start and within five minutes, they're at Home Depot buying a brand new lawnmower. These are the people where a button falls off a shirt and the, the shirt goes in the trash, like immediately. Holy socks, no, no chance in those being darned. There's, there's sort of keepers and pitchers in this world. What's interesting is that when an extreme keeper marries an extreme pitcher, right? can imagine the dynamics working out in that home. But what's more interesting to me is when I think about this dynamic, this this keeper and pitcher, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, John, there's a little bit of a spectrum, right? Like sometimes keepers are pitchers and pitchers are keepers. Like for me, like I would never darn a pair of socks, but I will fix my dishwasher so it runs for 30 years. Things like that, right? There's a spectrum here. But what's interesting is when we, we think about that concept and we apply it to human relationships, it gets a little bit more personal, right? It's a little bit more, uh, it hits us a little differently when we think about this. Because we all know people who are keepers. It's like no matter what happens, they're going to they're gonna stick it out relationally. We think about our, our our relationships with our friends, relationship with a spouse, relationship with a coworker, or or a neighbor. No matter what, they're, gonna, they're committed to it. They're going to work it out. No matter what. And then we have People we can all think of in our lives, and maybe when you're reflecting on your life and your relationships, who, who can quickly just move on, right? A, a relationship starts to go wrong, or, or they don't agree with something, and it's like, that's, that's okay. We'll just, I'm on to the next one. When we think about this idea of keepers and pitchers, and we apply it to relationships. There's, there's also a, a spectrum there, right? Like some are, and certain relationships will hold on to and keep, and other relationships will, will sort of cast aside, but what's even more interesting to me, if we if we take that one step further and we apply this concept to our relationship with God, the most important relationship in our lives. And there's some of us that are that are, are keepers. People in this room, I'm looking at people in this room who have who've been faithful in their relationship with God. They, no matter what, there's no doubt, there's no skepticism. And then we have others who, 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 their relationship with God is difficult. They have doubt that comes into their life, or they quickly get frustrated, or skeptical, or, or angry. And there's a spectrum here too, right? Where there's times in, in our lives where, for most of us, there's, there's high moments, right? Mo- mountaintop moments, and then there's, there's also low moments, we kind of do this roller coaster a little bit in our life of faith. That's pretty typical for mo- most people. But what's really powerful to me, and what's really fascinating to me, and what's really encouraging to me is that when we think about the other side of this relationship, so if, if we kind of roller coaster in our relationship with God, there's absolutely zero roller coasting that's going on with God. See, God is always a keeper, always a restorer, always faithful, always a reconciler. There's no part of God that says, no, not today. I'm not into it today or and, and casting us aside. God is, is always holding fast. Always keeping, always mending, always restoring, always reconciling. This is who God is. This is his character. And I ask myself, why? why? So why, why do I know that? Why do I believe that? Why, h- how do we know that, or how do we believe that? And the answer is because of this idea of covenant, We've talked about this before here at GBC, especially as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy just a few weeks ago. It's this idea of covenant. See, God has made a covenant with humanity, with, with those who, who follow him, who know him through Jesus Christ. It's a covenant that we remembered this morning in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. We're remembering a covenant, a covenant that God made with us through the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about this covenant, and he, he talks about himself as the mediator of the covenant in the book of Mark. I'll Read it for us. He's sitting with his disciples, and he says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So Jesus is the, the mediator, the, the blood that is shed on our behalf so that we can be reconciled back to God. This is the covenant that God makes with us. Us. This covenant through the, the blood of Jesus is the promise that God makes with us that He will forgive our sins and that we He will restore us to fellowship with Him. For those of us who's, whose hearts are turned towards Him, those of us who, who know Jesus, recognize Jesus, and believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have this covenant with God. We are reconciled. Our sins are forgiven. We sang about it this morning. We're restored. We are reconciled. We are made new through the blood of Jesus Christ. God covenants with us through Jesus, forgiving our sins, restoring us, uniting us back to him. The the death and the destruction and the chaos and the, the eternal separation of God that we deserve has been canceled. We've been reconciled. We've been ransomed. Through Jesus Christ. It's because of this covenant that that God never does this. God is always faithful. He's never on a roller coaster ride with us. He's always faithful, He's always a keeper. God is a God who restores. God is a God who restores. Let me unpack this a little bit more. So God restores us from our sinful state through Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, we become his children. He justifies us. We've we've talked about that term and used that term here before, right? He justifies us, making us just as if we'd never sinned. And then because of that covenant, he, he sanctifies us. As disciples, we grow to be more and more like him. And through the the journey of life, the highs and the lows and the struggles and the stresses and the, the, the amazing moments and the hard moments, God is refining us and working on us and sanctifying us as we cling to him and he holds on to us. There's this sanctifying work, this reconciliation work that happens to us even after justification. And then there's this This glorification, this this final and complete restoration that happens. So justification and sanctification, and then at the end of our lives, this glorification. And I point this out to you this morning to show you that all of this work is restoring work. This is who God is. He's a restoring God. He he justifies us, and then he, He sanctifies us, and then at the end of our life, He will glorify us. Colossians speaks of this. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you. That's a restored you. He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, justified to then glorified. This is the work that God does. This is who he is. So you may be asking yourself, all right, Vanderveld, great. What, why are we talking about restoration? What's this, this theme of restoration? Well, if you were here last week, you know we started a new sermon series called Helping People Follow Jesus. And our purpose in this sermon series is to talk about the mission of the church. Like, why do we gather, and why do we do the things we do, and why do we have the programs that we have? More, more specifically, we're looking at the the unique mission of Glen Ellen Bible Church. Why do we exist at 501 Hillside? Why do we do the things that we do? What guides us? What are we aiming at as a church? And Kelly kicked this off last week, and I could give a a long introduction about the sort of our our mission and and vision. I'd encourage you to go back last to last week's message and hear sort of the overall overarching uh, vision and and mission of Glen Ellen Bible Church. But it there's four key activities that we do, and we, we show these, we represent these visually in what we call the target. Those four things are proclaim the gospel. Kelly spent time on this last week. Then there's restoring the broken, equipping, and sending. These are the four main disciple-making activities that we are, we are aiming at and we are a part of and what we do here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. So this week, we're going to focus on restoration, restoring the broken. It's the, this kind of upper quadrant. We're going to talk about this this morning and focus on the, this idea of restoration. The reason, the reason why restoring the broken, the reason why restoration is a part of the disciple-making target is because God is a God who restores. God is a God who is is making new. We read about this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In the life of a disciple, this is sort of a, a summary of that restoration work. The old made new we are back in fellowship with God through Christ. As disciples of Christ, this is, this is the truth of our lives, that we have been restored through the blood of Jesus. And we now, you can put the quadrant back up there, laser pointer. We can now depend on Jesus' power fully. We've been restored, and so we depend fully on Christ. But what's interesting in this verse, in this chapter in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul then goes on to say, He says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in we might become the righteousness of God. So as disciples, we're, we're restored, we're, we're saved and rescued from our sin, and we're depending on Jesus fully. But then we also have this responsibility Now we are ambassadors of that reconciliation. We're ambassadors of that message. God has given it to us. We don't save anyone ourselves, but we're the ones that bring this message to the lost world. This is who we are, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. We're the ones that carry this message that restoration is possible in your life if you're lost and broken and struggling, that there there is hope that's found in Jesus. That's the message that we bring. We are ambassadors of this message. We share with others the answer for sin. We share with others the forgiveness that's available in Jesus. Church, if this is what we're to be called to do, if this is what Scripture tells us to do, I want you to know that it is absolutely impossible then to be a fully developed and a fully devoted follower of Jesus, growing more and more to be like Him, aiming for that target, the center of that target. It's impossible to do that if you don't have any relationships with anybody that's broken. If you only spend your time with people who are healed, if you don't spend any time being an ambassador of Christ, you're not going to grow. And you're not following the commands of Scripture. This is why in our lives, we need to be friends with people who are broken and don't know Jesus. We need to put ourselves in places and situations where we represent Him to a broken world. Where we have an opportunity to share with others the reconciling work of Jesus. We need to live lives that are connected with people, neighbors and co-workers and friends. Where we we walk alongside of them sharing with them who Jesus is, living authentic lives that have been changed by Jesus Christ. Church, this is why the programming, the things we do here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, we are not a holy huddle of believers. This church does not exist so that those of us who all know and love Jesus can get together and lock arms with each other and just talk about Jesus together. That's not why we exist, and that's not why the church exists, and that's not what Scripture tells us. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, so every program at Glen Ellen Bible Church, in our family ministry, our children's ministry, in our student ministry, in our adult ministries, they're not just open to people who don't know Jesus, they're intentionally inviting people who don't know Jesus to come and be a part and experience who Jesus is and this body of believers and this community of faith. And church, I'm going to tell you right now, it is messy work when we, when we act that way and we live that way. It is not easy to come alongside those who are broken. It's not easy to come alongside those that don't know Jesus Christ. This is not a simple outline and a programmatic form that we follow. Well, we do this and then this happens and we do this and then this happens. Many of you are are smiling because you know that the programming of inviting people who are lost and hurting and broken and hungry and all those things, it's difficult work. But it's the work we are committed to. We are an inviting church. And every program in this church should have people that are in it or people that are invited to come and be a part of it who don't know Jesus. This is what we do. This is, this is the restoration work, is that we as disciples, that we recognize the need for restoration in our lives, and then we share it with those who, who need to know Jesus. So church, this is the, the place. You can put the quadrant back up there. This is like the only time I ever used that word, quadrant. Alright, so there's this restoration of the broken and we're depending on Jesus fully. But there's this other part of the quadrant I want to talk about now. This, this connecting in, in, uh, deeply through fellowship. What are we talking about there? So there's this, this other part of the quadrant. And this is talking about the lives of those who, who are disciples. Those who know Jesus and are following after Jesus. Because here's the truth, church. As much as you know Jesus and you love Jesus and you're following Jesus, that there will be moments in your life where your faith is dry. Or you get trapped and entangled in sin. The temptation of the world that's out there to live a certain way becomes overwhelming. And we go to that sin and we get entangled in sin. Or we have these deep moments of doubt, dark nights of the soul Or we have strain in our relationships with our children or a relationship with a spouse or a messy situation with a a fellow church member. There's these moments that we have, even as, as followers of Jesus, where we are broken and we need reconciliation. We need healing. We need care. We need to confess we need to be forgiven sometimes that reconciliation work is something that needs to happen in our own hearts where our heart has been has wandered we're prone to wander and we we need to do some confessing and we need to do some praying we need to hear some forgiveness When sometimes that reconciliation work needs to take place in our marriages and sometimes with friends and sometimes with our very children. Our homes need reconciliation and healing. Our children need to be a part of this and see this. This group, this body of believers, those in this room that are disciples of Jesus, we need to be about the work of reconciliation with each other, restoring each other, hearing each other, listening to each other confess, praying with each other, encouraging one another, forgiving each other. We share this, this reconciliation with the, those who are, who are outside of the church or, or, or who don't know Jesus yet, but we need to do it with ourselves. I don't know about you, but on a daily basis, I need to feel restored and reconciled to Jesus, even as a disciple. Even as a disciple, I think the, the more and more you go in your faith, the longer you spend time with Jesus, the more and more you become aware of your sinfulness and the, the wanderings of your heart, the more and more you need to feel forgiven. The more and more you need to confess and the, the more ready you are to do it. This church needs to be about that work. Let me read for us several verses this morning. I'm going to do something we don't normally do. I'm going to read several verses about what the Bible tells us the church, the the body of believers, the people of God are supposed to be like. Paul sends several words of encouragement and instruction to the early church about what the people of God should be like, and I believe those words apply to us today, how we should live and be with one another and as a church. Let me read them for us this morning. I encourage you if you'd like to just if you want, you can close your eyes and you can just hear the, the, the scripture read over you. If you want to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to do that as well. Ephesians 4:32 says this: about the church. Church: Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Colossians 3 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Church, would you bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. Restore them gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Church, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. And finally, 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Above all, above all, church, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is what we are called to be like. This is who we are called to be as a church in our relationships with one another. There's work here, right? There's restoring work here that we read about. Confessing and forgiving, being hospitable to one another, compassionate and kind to each other. This restoring work. And church, we realize that that level of connection that's needed to, to confess and forgive and to share and encourage and rebuke and, and motivate, all those things that need to take place, it's, it's virtually impossible for that to take place with the number of people that are here in this room in a church our size. Church, this is why we have a small group ministry at this church. Adult small groups, men's and women's Bible studies small groups, This is why our student ministry meets in small groups, junior high and senior high. This is why we have small prayer groups. We realize that if we're going to do this work, it has to happen in fellowship, deep connected fellowship. And that happens in a small group where a, a group of people can get around each other and be vulnerable with each other and share with one another what's really going on in their lives. And they can confess with each other. Confess the sin that they're struggling with. And they can be prayed over and encouraged. They can, they can share the physical things that are going in and on in their body that they need healing for. And they can be prayed for. This is why we do small groups, so that we can connect in fellowship deeply with each other, because that's where the res- restoration work takes place. This deep, fellowship with each other. This connecting and, and sharing at that level is so countercultural, isn't it? It's what makes the church the church. These relationships that go beyond just where are you investing your money and what's your favorite sports team and what kind of car are you driving and where are your kids going to college? It's when we take it down in that deeper next level where you confess to one another you get the burdens off your heart and, and you share the junk that's going on in your family with each other. And you can have people speak into that and encourage you and walk alongside you. They tell you that when you go to write a sermon or prepare a sermon that you should start with what's your greatest hope? What's your greatest hope for the sermon? So I'm going to share mine with you this morning. My greatest hope for this morning as we talk about the restoration quadrant, we talk about restoration, as we share and we discover about who GBC is and our ministry and our programs and, and everything that we do here. It's my hope that you will see a church, a people of God, a community of faith, a body of believers that's deeply committed. To the hard and messy and long-suffering and bearing-with-each-other work of restoration. Both for those that don't know Jesus and for the people that are here that do know Jesus. That this is who we are as a church. Committed to the work of restoration. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you that you have done the ultimate work of reconciliation and restoration for, for us through Jesus. We thank you for your covenant to us through Jesus. And God, I pray that we will be spurred on as we'll love each other because you first loved us. We'd be spurred on, encouraged to do this work, this restoration and reconciliation work, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You can stand. We're going to sing together. Uh, We have uh, people coming forward who would love to welcome you in prayer. If you have prayer needs, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you this morning and uh, we can do that while we're singing.